Hello, all you Rays fans, and welcome back to The Hit Show. Well, the season has opened, and we're excited to talk about the Rays and about what the week that was, what the week that will be, and, of course, the uh, inevitable World Series championship that we will be hoisting at the end of this season. Uh, with uh, me, as always, hey, I, I don't. I only believe in jinxes in, in hockey. Reverse jinxes. We need to go for the reverse. <laughs> the reverse jinx. So we're losing in seven games in the World Series? Well, so far we're losing through seven games. So we. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair point. Uh, welcome back to the hit show, Danny Russell. Hello. Managing editor for the DRaysBay.com blog. And of course, uh, Darby Robinson, who was with us on the last episode. Welcome back, Darby. Hey, good to be back. So guys, the season has opened. It didn't quite start out of the gate as we had hoped, but there are definitely some green shoots and some things to be optimistic about. What, uh, what stood out for you guys in the last six or so games? Let's rewind to opening day. I actually have a very interesting uh, thought experiment. If you had to remember one storyline from opening day, what immediately jumps out to you? The first thing that comes to mind, Darby. 12 strikeouts in five innings for Chris Archer. That's, that was just exciting. Um, he, he wasn't super sharp. He had a, you know, a couple hits, a couple walks, but you know, 12 strikeouts. He like, and through the Toronto blue Jays, um, mighty, mighty, uh, lineup. That's a, a really exciting, uh, moment from opening day for me. That was the most strikeouts on opening day since Felix Hernandez in 2007. There was this, a statistic, wasn't it? The, um, most strikeouts in five innings since Bob Gibson in 1987. Yeah, he had pretty electric stuff. Brian Anderson covered it pretty well on the Rays broadcast, and it was simulcasted by ESPN. A lot of people might have been there, and if you missed it, Brian Anderson, former pitcher, was saying everything was leaving Archer's hand early through the first two innings. So when he was trying to utilize his high fastball, that rising fastball above the zone to get those strikeouts that he ended up getting later, because the ball left his hand early, it was sailing way above the zone. And that's what led to the runs. That's what led to the walks. That's what led Mm -hmm. to the damage. Jim Hickey comes out there in the second inning. And after that, he calms down, he gets back in the zone and he becomes uh, apparently the unrequited ace of the staff. There was a lot of negativity around that start, which was really disappointing because Chris Archer just stepped right back into where he left off, and I couldn't have been more thrilled with his performance despite the runs that were scored early in the game. It was the Toronto Blue Jays after all. So yeah, yeah, it's. I I think you can. I can accept also some shakiness out of the first uh, game too. I I think the explosiveness on those pitches and the strikeouts and uh, when, you know, the way he was able to kind of cut through such a good lineup that early in the season, you know, opening day that I think is more impressive than even, you know, having some, you know, starting out of the gate slow. That's, that's sort of something that, you know, it takes a little bit for pitchers to kind of, you know, get that start going, you know, through spring training, they're kind of working on pitches. They haven't really put together, uh, or really gotten anything rolling like the hitters have and, and to go right out there against the blue Jays, um, pretty awesome. Danny, what about you for opening day? What storyline sticks right out in your mind? It's unfair to him, but Logan Morrison <laughs> comes to mind first. And I feel mm-hmm. really bad because um, we're dealing with the smallest sample size possible. 
particularly speaking of opening game, not even just this week, but there was just a couple booted balls. Well, maybe not booted because they come running off the, the glove, the top of the glove, the heel of the glove. You know, he's getting there. He's getting glove to ball, but just that last moment the ball gets away. And I felt like he became such a narrative, particularly because James Loney had been released. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really, really good point for me was the fact that the Rays sold out their 11th consecutive home opener, which for a team that constantly is talking about attendance problems, new stadium problems, this was, I think, the fourth fastest sellout that, they, that they've had in team history. And I think that that, again, shows that, that they've got a lot of a strong following in the, in the Bay Area and that they want to, people want to come see them. If we could just make it a little bit easier on them, <laughs> those attendance problems <laughs> might, might uh, abate. And it's worth... Uh, bragging that Tampa Bay is consistently in the top half of baseball for television ratings. And I believe this is going to be a really well-watched season. Uh, The product on screen and on the radio are already fantastic and already growing. But I don't know. I just feel so angry when people talk about attendance (laughs) and and leave out the fact that they're so beloved by the community and well-watched within the community that even if people can't get to the blue seats, they're at least sitting on their couch and enjoying. We call those the brown seats, right, Danny? I, you know, I was really worried about what <laughs> I was about to say, and I just cut it off. <laughs> my, my couch is a taupe color, maybe? Uh, the taupe seats in the Russell home. seats, yeah. I, I, think, uh, I think that's sort of the that's – a, that's a big part of the narrative that is always omitted. And, and I do have a very um, kind of – bitterness when when people talk about you know the the blue seats in the stadium but not mention how supportive the community is of this team this is a a passionate fan base um whether or not that shows up at the trop uh consistently there is still people with with rays hats and rays shirts and watching uh the tv and watching the rays games and following uh, these, this team that I feel like that, you know, it isn't really telling the whole story when people just talk about, you know, Lowell Rays, they, no, no fans type of thing. Jeff so, Kogan, the chief business officer, was recently on Rays Radio talking about all the really cool new benefits that they have at the stadium for season ticket holders and people who buy ticket packages and not just that brand new uh, draft room that they call it, which is a nice, uh, uh, turn a phrase on the exclusive beer that's being brewed by Green Bench, <laughs> and also an MLB draft. Um, uh, it's a it's a really cool new system they have of reward points and being able to redeem points as if they're like hotel points or airline points, and you can get things like an on the field meet and greet with Chris Archer, and uh, or, or something as simple as uh, upgrading your seats for a particular game. Or spending it on concessions or merchandise. It's it, all this really cool stuff he's going through. But my big takeaway is what he was saying as the new guy in the front office and coming with an outside perspective is that when the Rays showed up, you had a long history of Yankees fans in particular, but also Red Sox fans in the Tampa Bay market. And, and, and Miami, you can throw that in there because they were the only team at the time. They were the Florida Marlins at the time. Mm-hmm. But all those guys who were and gals who were maybe 16, 17, 18 have grown up and now have their own kids who are well invested in the race. That love of baseball is carried on. 
but now these kids have only known the Tampa Bay Rays. Their entire life, they've been an institution. So it's just really exciting to see how many kids are shown on these broadcasts because it's those kids who are 10, 11, 12, 13 who are going to get the parents to the stadium and have that really exciting experience. I think the Rays are family-friendly. I think that's an important aspect of the team's brand, and I think that's going to pay off with more obvious fan attendance and fan investment as time goes on. Let's take it back onto the field and what kind yes. of things surprised you guys this this week? I mean, we mentioned the Rays are off to a 2 and 4 start in their first 6 games against a couple of tough uh, a tough opponents in these first two series. What what stood out and, and surprised you guys this week? We have long balls. Oh, we have home oh, runs. Yeah. Oh, do we have long balls? I mean, Corey Dickerson we, I've already spoken too much about him in the three podcasts that we've had. I am over the moon <laughs> for the moon shots this guy hits. I'm just thrilled. And the, the thunderous power. I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to default into Shakespeare in a moment. <laughs> I just cannot believe that he's a raised player. It's not just that we have an aggressive approach, but he has so much dang power. And it's just tantalizing. I get mad that he hits fourth because I have to wait four batters into the game to actually see him come to bat. So it's just so exciting to have him there. Sousa's also off to a hot start of his own, wouldn't you say? Oh, I'm super proud of him. His (laughs) home runs have kind of come off of um, mistakes more than anything else. And that's not to discredit the work that he's done. He's got three home runs in six games. Steven Sousa's off the chain right now. He's hitting low in the order, so I think there's a little bit of uh, um, pitchers maybe thinking I can mentally relax a little bit. That's a mistake. Uh, he's a sneaky uh, offensive presence hitting sixth. And beyond that, he's been hitting those off of relievers, I think, if memory serves. So it's possible that he's been getting a little bit more of a gift than what Dickerson's been getting, but both of those guys just thunderous. Is that unfair? You feel free to correct me on that. No, no, not at all. I don't think that's unfair. No, I, but I think uh, I think with Souza, actually, the fact that he's hitting mistakes is really encouraging. Mm-hmm. I think one of the problems uh, that I really had with Souza was not really the strikeouts. I think he's you know he's going to be a guy that strikes out a ton. Um, he can walk, uh, and he will hit with immense power when he makes contact. But I think one of the problems I saw in that first season was very, very passive, and he wouldn't jump on a mistake. Uh, mm-hmm. But he would look at a lot of strikes that he should just take a shot at. And, you know, if he if he misses, so be it. But uh, you could see right now he has jumped on some mistakes and absolutely punished the ball. So I've got to ask you guys. Desmond Jennings has been playing pretty well this first set of games. And just tonight in the first game against Cleveland, we saw him throw out his arm was tested from, uh, <laughs> from the outfield, from the warning track. And he was able to get Mike Napoli out at second. Uh, is DJ back? DJ's back. I don't know if DJ's back at the plate, but DJ's back in the field. And that is where the majority of his value came from anyway. If he is a replacement level bat and plays like Desmond Jennings in left field, we have a far above average player, and it's awesome to have old school DJ in the house. Yeah, it's very encouraging. I'm out in the field and actually looking uh, just 
really healthy and, and actually playing really, really well out there. And like Danny's saying, uh, if this is a guy that can hit just replacement level, not even getting a, a not really being required or relied upon to do a lot with solid defense, this he could get back to being a, a two to three war player potentially huge. Um, even if it's a little bit less, that's a, that's a really big kind of acquisition for the Rays um, that we weren't really counting on, uh, but we're kind of hoping for. I know I was, you know, in my wildest dreams, I was hoping to see a return to the old Desmond Jennings. And by that, the young, I mean, the young Desmond Jennings, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting and encouraging to see him out there. So on the, so on the flip side of the coin, uh, we had talked actually before the season started, when we were discussing the battle for first base about streaky Logan Morrison Mm-hmm. And of course, Brad yeah. Miller also starting off really slow. Uh, seems like some things are going to happen for one of these players. Uh, but I'm curious, their slow starts. How how are you guys interpreting those? Uh, now it should be mentioned that when we say a slow start for Brad Miller, we are not talking defensive. At worst, he looks like a major league average shortstop, and at his best moments, he's had you know really good bright spots. And this is his first season back playing shortstop full time. So as he settles into that role, this actually looks very promising, and I've been really happy with him defensively. On offense, he's looked a little lost at the plate, and I know a lot of people, at least in the community at our website, was calling for Brad Miller to maybe even lead off the game. And I think it's real clear that a guy like Logan Forsythe, I think it's real clear that a guy like Logan Forsythe at the top of the order, even if he hasn't been as productive as we would hope so far, having maturity at the top of the lineup is important. And Brad Miller's just looked lost at least one moment every game. There's an at-bat where I'm like, man, he looks like he's just closing his eyes and swinging. I, I don't mean that to sound disparaging, but it doesn't give me a lot of confidence that he could be hitting first, hitting second. Um, I've wanted a little bit more out of him, and maybe that's just settling into playing every day again uh, because the Mariners kind of took that away from him. Uh, I have high expectations for him, and maybe that's part of the problem as well. But I would like a little bit more uh, confidence in Brad Miller's bat before I get too excited about him. Staying with Brad Miller, I, I definitely think the fact that his defense has looked good to, to just league average, that's the thing I was really concerned about. The bat is, you know, very uh, – it, it's it's frustrating to see him uh, swing the bat sometimes. Um, it is – he's not really starting great, but I'm more concerned about – the glove. I think his bat will be fine. Um, I, I also don't know if I really put him as a leadoff guy or even a number two guy. I think as a sort of bottom of the order, um, guy that can give you some pop. Uh, I think that's a, he's still really valuable. Um, but I, I fully expect his bat to bounce back and kind of get back up to speed. Um, but if his glove can stay at least at this level, I think we're really in a good shape with Brad Miller. So that, that's, been the thing I was kind of focusing on right now. And as long as he continues to, to make some plays look like he uh, can feel this position. Well, I think his bat's going to bounce back and, and we're going to get the type of player that we were hoping for. Um, Lomo is kind of, he, he's sort of the guy that um, we kind of thought he would be, uh, or at least kind of feared he would be. He's, he's, this is sort of, who he can be. He's an incredibly streaky, uh, in the, in spring, he was actually playing really well. 
hitting uh, some pretty good gap-to-gap power. And right now, these last few games uh, to start the season, the start of the season has been just absolutely miserable. Um, we kind of talk about the whole uh, Kevin Cash's quote about uncompetitive at-bats last season when it comes to Rene Rivera. Uh, Logan Morrison is not really put up much of a fight so far in anything. And and when you factor in the defense, that's really, really concerning. Uh, but it is also a very short, small sample size, very, very small. So I'm trying, the analytic part of me is trying to uh, stay patient. And the rest of me is uh, yelling at my TV as many ex- expl- expletives as I can possibly uh, come up with. I think it should be noted that frustration is justified. He has earned ire, and I don't think uh, we want to sound too dismissive of the fact that he has not been uh, this huge upgrade at first base that um, it felt like he was supposed to be when you released James Loney. However, he – sorry, I'm distracted by Corey Dickerson hitting a single. (laughs) A double. A double. Stretching it out for a double. I'm not editing this part out, by the way. Over the head of the fielder. Everyone listening to this podcast should know that we're watching the game while we're actually talking about the Rays. Yeah, when when our voices trail off, it's because Corey Dickerson's hitting a second double this season. Against Cy Robot. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He's going golfing. (laughs) Corey Dickerson's plate coverage. I think we mentioned this a couple times on the site in some of the articles. Uh, His plate coverage is absolutely incredible. I remember I found this one uh, gif uh, from this game against, I believe it was Arizona, where he hits a single, a sharp single off of a ball that bounces on the plate, it bounces on the plate. He hits it off of the bounce for a sharp single. So there really isn't a place where he has a hole in his swing. Uh, and the fact that he can go down, well, you guys will have watched the game hopefully by now. But uh, when you see this, uh, hit this double opposite field, incredibly low off one of the best pitchers in baseball. Uh, this is why Danny has been constantly banging the drum for for this guy <laughs> yeah he's 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 a thrill to watch so just to, to close out the lomo thread is is he on a short leash or is this is this just really the jitters coming out of opening opening up this first week and how long how long could he keep going at this pace i think the promising thing for logan morrison is that pitchers are still pitching away from him if we were seeing all these issues, I mean, he's hitting second, which is why the magnifying glass is on him right now. If he was hitting seventh in the order, everyone would just be kind of saying, oh, well, you know, Logan Morrison's a streaky hitter, and it's going to be okay later eventually, and he's not the most important. But he's hitting in the most important spot in the lineup. He's hitting second. And pitchers are just not really giving him a whole lot of stuff to work with. And when he has gotten those pitches to hit, we were talking about Souza hitting those. Uh, he's kind of swung under him or over them. Uh, but if memory serves, he's been swinging under them. And that's part of him trying to launch. And that's part of him trying to flex some power. And that's okay. And I think eventually that's going to click. But I think we'd have a lot more cause for concern if guys were sending things down Broad Street and expecting it uh, to still be missed. And they're not. They're throwing it as far away as possible. So let me gush just for a quick second and actually ask you guys a question. Kevin Kiermeyer, is mm. is there a more exciting guy in the entire major leagues to watch on either side of the ball? I think defensively, no. I think he is the defensive. He's the guy that you would want to actually see live. 
defensively for his glove. I, and I think that's something that you really don't you don't have in baseball a lot. Um, but he is he is like that type of dynamic player that really every every shot to center field, no matter how hard you think maybe there's a chance he's going to catch it. Um, yeah, there's not a moment where there's a fly ball where I don't expect Kevin Kiermaier to get there. I remember I'm a little game. disappointed when there's a home right? run that he hasn't somehow jumped onto the stadium, into the stands, run up past the hot dog vendor, caught it, and then just thrown it back into the <laughs> throw it up the ladder first. Yeah. It's like the Nippon Baseball League where all these guys are actually scaling the fence <laughs> and jumping up in the air off of it, which he exactly. basically has been doing. I'm pretty sure every single game he's climbed the wall. I'm not sure why we don't call him Spider-Man instead of Outlaw that at this law. point. <laughs> I mean, he, would Tory Hunter get angry about that? <laughs> if 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 Kiermaier wasn't such a humble guy, um, yeah, he's yeah, I mean, he's overly confident in his abilities. He um, he's been calling himself the best defender in baseball for a while. So it's not like there's not any level of ego to him. But that's backed up by a platinum glove, so I think it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. Your question was: Is he the most exciting player in baseball right now? I think he's in consideration, and I think it's that live factor where you're at a game, you fully anticipate him to do something amazing. And there's not a lot of guys in the game where you can make that kind of expectation. He, I, it's, a, it's a very select few guys. Uh, maybe Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa is pretty amazing. I think just, I, I don't know, two-way, but you know, I think with Bryce Harper right now, when he comes to the plate, mm. at his age, the, the absolute power and ridiculous stupid power that he has and even a guy like um john carlos stanton like those are guys that you just tune in because every at bat could be something that breaks a stadium but what's great right now is we are expecting kiermeyer to hit and i think if we are talking about logan morrison hitting second and maybe needing to be dropped in the order it would be interesting to see him flipped with somebody like kiermeyer uh to get him higher in the order to add some more speed higher up I, I'm not sure who else belongs in the number two hole, but if you were going to make a switch, I think KK would be very exciting. And when you have a player who you can expect big things from on both sides of the ball, it's just a joy. It's just a thrill to watch the guy. It doesn't matter if he if he is run out running out a bunt or a kind of a, a little a little dinger. He's if you feel like I feel like he's got a chance to get on base even even though my brain actually overrides it and I know that they're just gonna hmm. throw him out but he hauls he hustles and I and I think that enthusiasm just really uh, makes him makes him a thrill to watch. In a way, I almost want to compare him to uh, is almost very similar to when Ichiro came over and basically every time you make contact, it was a it was a very good chance of a single, not he, he Kiermaier is not quite to that level of speed and that kind of already running halfway down first, you know, kind of swing that Ichiro had, but that level of not necessarily a power hitter with excitement, uh, but a, a potential slap hitter, but with that speed where if it finds a small gap, he's definitely going to take second, uh, an infield hit, you better have a good glove and a strong arm to get him. Uh, and, and that level of excitement off of infield singles is something that we don't really see in baseball a lot either. So, uh, yeah, almost, I almost kind of like see that his at bats almost in a, in a similar way to, to an Itro, even though Itro is a 
tremendous, tremendous hitter uh, for his back control. But uh, but those, you know, got to have some love for those infield slap hits where the basically the defense is just having to sprint all out, grab the ball, make an amazing play to get an out. So <laughs> I would also put Bartolo Colon in that in that <laughs> that list because whatever Bartolo Cologne I mean I actually have a fantasy team named Bartolo Cologne infield single in in tribute to what he did last year and uh, his uh his over the shoulder catch just this season <laughs> is already the best highlight of the year and, uh, in any sport I think just forget it it's over it's Bartolo <laughs> Cologne doing Bartolo Cologne things we talked a little bit about Chris Archer and his his start on opening day so the Rays went with, chose just because of scheduling reasons to go with a, a four-man rotation for the first couple of weeks. It mm-hmm. looks like uh, Erasmo Ramirez was the long man there, and I guess maybe he's scheduled to get a spot start this Friday. But uh, what, do, what did you that's guys actually, think that? Uh, that's actually a really good question about whether or not it will be Erasmo. It's possible that they do a bullpen day, but they haven't been treating Ramirez as a long man up until this point, so I don't know if he's necessarily ready for that. But Drew Smiley uh, got rained out on Saturday after doing his full warm-up, which is just completely aggravating for a pitcher because you put a lot of work in to get to that point. And they're stretching, uh, they're stretching him out, treating that as a as a as an off day work off workout day, so to speak. And he's going to be pitching on what was the opening slot for the first opportunity for a quote unquote fifth starter, and that's on the 13th. So his normal pitching slot comes available on Friday. And if it is a bullpen day, the Rays have the ability to do that. But I do think uh, a spot starter is more likely at this point, unless all the starters this week just go ahead and mow guys down and we don't really need to use the bullpen and that's available to them. Well, well with, with the, within the Rays pen, we have three guys that can go. I mean, we, we talked about the two innings, but Erasmo, you don't want to mess, maybe stretch him out to a five inning, but he could maybe do two or three. Uh, any Romero was a starter and he could maybe do two uh, and Dana Evelyn is, you know, he has starting in his history. So he could maybe even do two or three um, without sure. just the entire bullpen potentially. Well, the idea is that everybody in the bullpen can throw two innings uh, this, uh, this off season. That was a particular goal of theirs. And we've written about that uh, in a couple places on the site. You know, even Ryan Webb is good for two innings if you need it. But I do think there's something to be said about staying competitive and, a second inning of Ryan Webb or a second inning of any Romero might not uh, guarantee that. True. But the Durham rotation is now kind of off kilter. That first opening slot was uh, perfectly lined up for Matt Andresi to come in. And now that it's pushed to Friday, uh, I think that's the fifth starter in Durham is what it lines up naturally with on a five-man rotation. And I think that's Adam Wilk, who has major league experience as a starter. Tangent. Alex Cobb threw off the mound for the first time today. Oh, that's so exciting. That is that on news. schedule. 20 pitches off the mound. What do you guys think realistically if he returns to the team midseason that we can that we can expect out of him? Ah, uh, that's hard to say, man. We saw Matt Moore come back. Yeah. Uh earlier than his confidence would have allowed. They actually had to option him to Durham just to work on confidence. His he was physically fine. And he even said this himself. His arm was physically fine and just didn't trust it. And it, it was it was painful to watch. It was hard to see a guy come back from such a grueling rehabilitation mm-hmm. process and then still not be ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just you just become so sad for the guy. And 
the Rays were, you know, bordering on contention. They had dropped far and away from those 10 games above 500 that they were at. But a healthy Matt Moore doing Matt Moore things like he's doing today uh, on television right now, because as you said, we're watching game seven as we record this. Matt Moore is back. Matt Moore is throwing harder than he threw before Tommy John surgery, which is insane. And now he's the guy that we could have hoped for after Tommy John. That uh, you know, in your wildest dreams, this is a, a a low probability outcome that he becomes something even better right away. And I I would consider the following season right away. So I I'm not ready to say what I think Alex Cobb is going to do because we just can't put those kind of expectations on him. I would hope that we learn from last season a bit that uh, that we don't necessarily throw him into the rotation. Uh, we really baby him. Um, I I think Alex Cobb's a really important pitcher uh, for the Rays, not just in terms of potential playoff uh, pitching, even if it's in the bullpen, but also potential uh, trade candidate. Um, he he was our ace not too long ago, so I think he's such a key key piece in so many different ways that I I agree. I don't want to see him kind of go through the same thing that Matt Moore did. Uh, and even though he's a bit always had a bit better control than Matt Moore, it might be a little bit better, but also, you know, that's that's a huge strain on the arm that he went through and and that surgery. And yeah, I mean I think I think with the Rays rotation as it stands right now, and with what Durham has in, in their rotation, I think being extra cautious is is something I would be very on board for rather than uh, even slightly too aggressive. If I had to make a prediction for how Friday is going to go, and this is, you know, not based on anything other than just my thinking out loud, but I think it would be interesting to promote Matt Andresi, even though his pitching schedule would have had him throwing on Wednesday comfortably. If he could start on Wednesday, make Friday uh, a workout day, or if he started on Tuesday, I'm not really sure which day of the week that if whether or not he's starting right now or tomorrow. So if he throws tonight, it's possible that they can make Friday something like a workout day for him where he comes in and throws maybe two innings, and that maybe helps him get acclimated. I think it's more likely that we have a bullpen day on Friday. I I don't really have confidence in any of the starters that they would promote, and I'd rather see the Rays just roll through the, uh, through the bullpen, use their nice depth that they have there, uh, trust their guys to go out there and get a little bit more major league uh, reps under their belt early in the season, and then uh, bring Andresi up for the second game uh, opportunity. That opening, I think, is in New York. Uh, his previous major league experience will be valuable in that situation, and I do think that's on normal rest for him based on starting uh, on Tuesday of this week that we're recording. So On Wednesday. On Wednesday. Either way, either way, like that's a, that's a – four to five days in between starts kind of thing. So bring him up for the Yankees series. The following opportunity would be in Seattle for the Mariners. And that's when it'd be really fun to bring Blake Snell up. I'm getting really ahead of myself and we kind of talked about that. But dude is from Seattle. I just, and I think it would be a nice heartfelt moment for the race to promote him in his hometown and let him go out there and, and see what he can do with the Mariners lineup. Kiermaier. 
<laughs> Speaking of steel. Hey, look at that. <laughs> you say steel say that and he's still a base at the same time. Oh, my goodness. There you go. <laughs> Most exciting guy in baseball. Yeah, well, you know, hey, opinions vary, but uh, I'm sticking with that one because at least he's fun. He, he is incredibly fun. I, 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 I don't want to, like, sit necessarily. I think it's hard to to say most exciting, but I don't know if there is a more exciting person. Let's just say that. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's adequate praise because that puts him on the same level with a bunch of other great guys. Yeah. And he does he it stole. in a different way. That's, that's what's yeah. exciting. Well, everything about him, you know, he's not going to pride himself on all these promotions. They have two promotions for him this week. Yes. Which is eight, within seven days. There's the platinum <laughs> glove bobblehead. Yes. And then there's an actual baseball glove for kids that has his signature on it, I think. If anybody and, is going to that game on Saturday <laughs> and uh, wants to send me the platinum glove bobblehead, <laughs> I will not say no. I will not return to sender. So that's not that's not what he prides himself in, but man, he prides himself in playing the game hard and, you know, teaching prospects. He works out for at University of Tampa that um, you know, to teach the college kids as well, just kind of pass on uh, what he's learned and what's gotten him to the point where he is today. But he, he just stole second base at the same speed that he ran to first base after he walked after an eight pitch at bat or something like that. This dude just plays the game so well and the Indians challenged it and he's safe. And second. He's safe. Then they lose their challenge earlier in the game. They did. It's over for them. Well, yeah. not, well, late innings and then it all takes yeah. care of itself. But they tried to challenge Desmond Jennings getting the out call at second base as well, and that didn't work out. So I hope you watched this game. It's very exciting. Dude, there's a lot of references. <laughs> if you don't watch this game, you will get all these references. If you what are you listening to this Moore podcast for? <laughs> You're not watching the games. All right, so We're guys. Start to release a secondary podcast that's just commentary for games. We could do uh, that. If there's demand, we could definitely do that. So It's called Rabble. Maybe, maybe uh, if – we uh, reverse jinx ourselves into the playoffs. We could actually rabble something here. Oh, there you go. Uh, here's an important question. How worried are we with the other arms in the rotation? We haven't talked about Drew Smiley or Jake Odorizzi. Haven't had perfect results out of them yet. Well, I mean, first starts a little bit, a little bit of shakiness in, in, in both of them. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the Orioles are off to such a hot start and, of course, the Blue Jays. So I don't I don't know if I'm reading anything into into the first couple of series. I, I kind of feel the same way. I'm, I'm pretty I tried again. I'm trying to not, you know, jump too far uh, off of the bridge for the kind of the rough starts, especially with who they faced. Um, Drew Smiley he he had a a game you know not dissimilar to Chris Archer's first game uh not as successful with the strikeouts but not dissimilar in terms of not quite or actually not dissimilar to Chris Archer's second game against the Orioles where he didn't really quite have his best stuff but even even still it it was successful for quite a bit of the game uh but it's still we're talking the Blue Jays we're talking the Orioles uh, these aren't you know, this is this isn't. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but these aren't some of the teams that that you can maybe get by with missing some pitches and and not having your A stuff. I think the Rays. You know, they they play in the AL East, and there's no really off days when they play in 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 uh, in division, and so you really have to kind of bring it. So I I think 
it's early. I'm I'm very tentative to 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 kind of jump to jump to too much of a conclusion on them. Logan Forsyth. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Love it. The bats awaken. Psy Robot suffers. Oh, I saw the swing and I'm like, get out, get out, get out, get out. And then it became a no doubter. And I'm like, oh, that is gone. All so right, this, so this is a good transition, though. Okay, so the Rays just took the lead in the bottom of the eighth, which means uh, potentially bullpen in the ninth. This is the of the things that we were talking about of like very promising to not be the neg- you know not to stay on the negative the very promising this season the bullpen we uh this was the scariest possible thing especially after Boxberger went down and we traded Jake McGee this was the weakness of the team this was the big weakness and so far uh amazing results yeah and i'm amazed at how much confidence i have in Erasmo Ramirez and Annie Romero and even Alex Colomay to come out there and do good work. I'm comfortable with them. And that is a testament to these guys who, you know, for the most part at a national level would be no name guys in a bullpen. And I think they're going to do some really nice things. I think even Annie Romero could do some spectacular things. And that's such an upgrade. If you were thinking about, you know, his prospect development uh, even a season ago where everyone's saying, oh, all those control issues came back. He's really, you know, pulled himself up by his bootstraps and become possibly a high leverage, threatening pitcher, a wonderful weapon to have out of the bullpen. Now we're early in the season. I don't want to project too much there, but I, I really think he could do something nice. Yep. So, guys, we've got a couple more games against the Indians. And then, of course, we've got a, a full series with the White Sox. What should we be looking forward to this coming week? Offense. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, more home Hopefully. runs. This is, now, this is now seventh game with a home run. We've had a home run in every game. 21 consecutive games with a home run if you yeah. go back to last season. Yeah. 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 Rays. The Rays. They're just, they're just, you know, maybe they might sometimes struggle with pitching and defense, but they can hit home runs. That's what everyone has always said about this team since 2008. No, that, it's, a, it's weird that, you know, now home runs are a part of this, this, uh, this team's kind of offensive part. And I think that's obviously we, we saw a, uh, you know, the article that Jason Collette sort of posted about how, you know, the Rays are the early aggressive team. This is the most aggressive team in baseball right now. And that has led to some home runs. You know, and it's worth mentioning Jeff Sullivan uh, later in the day, probably already working on it was saying something very similar, particularly uh, Jeff Sullivan was saying first pitch strikes. Yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's it, at this point, it's going to get really predictable for opposing hitters and something will change. And obviously it'll it'll be a, a dance back and forth of whether or not the Rays are being completely aggressive on the first pitch. But, yeah, when you play in a stadium like Tropicana Field, you just have to hit long balls. It's the only no, you're fighting fire with fire. I think that's what's really interesting <laughs> about taking this offensive approach. It's it's a pitcher's park through and through, so why not add as much offensive potency as possible? And I do think once we really get on the road and when it's not frigid in Camden Yards, that's really the one thing we didn't really talk about, Jacob to Rizzi, uh, we, when we talked about how him and Smiley kind of had meh results so far. He played in a really cold weather in his start in Baltimore, and when his pitches every once in a while didn't bite as maybe as hard as it's supposed to, that's to be expected. 
You know, he's not wearing gloves. He can't go out there and, and, you know, like warm up his fingers on every pitch. And I felt horrible for him because I want him to do so well because I think this is a great year for him to take another step forward and become a really special pitcher for the race. And you hate to see him have to go out there in 35-degree weather and try to make, you know, some kind of split change dance a little more than uh, a hitter's anticipating. Darby, I know that... uh... There's going to be a new feature that that we're going to have on the the D Rays Bay blog, and uh, you're going to be heading it up. Want to want to talk about it just a little bit? Sure, sure. We're uh, we're going to be trying something out in the next uh, couple of weeks, trying to make it a weekly thing on Wednesdays at uh, twelve noon uh, Eastern time. Uh, we're going to be trying to do sort of a midweek uh, mailbag where we try to answer questions uh, from our you know online community from Facebook. This will be a uh, live video mailbag on Facebook every Wednesday uh, at noon. So, you know, when you're at lunch, uh, decide to pop on over there, write in a question, and uh, I'll, I'll be leading it. And so try to do my best to answer whatever you guys uh, throw at me, and uh, they will be my opinions. So, uh, so there will be a lot, of, a lot of love for Eddie Romero and uh, Corey Dickerson and um, – yeah, uh, but it's any questions at all. So it could be about the Rays. Um, if you do want to talk about other things happening in baseball or even other sports, uh, you can feel free. But uh, this is a good opportunity uh, to to get some questions about the Rays asked uh, and answered. And uh, I'd love to have you guys stop in, uh, all of our fans, and uh, uh, and check it out. That's going to do it for this week's hit show. Danny, Darby, thank you guys very much for your awesome insights and looking forward to this mailbag feature. And we will certainly uh, rib you about it on future episodes of the show, Darby. (laughs) One one programming note that that we have, we've been working to try to figure out the the cadence of, of the cast, the structure, who was on? I think we are actually getting into a pretty good flow. So we're going to do this on a on a weekly basis, kind of going forward until we don't. Uh, but hopefully, you guys are are enjoying the the content that we're putting together. You can also drop us an email at dracebaypodcast at gmail We've been getting a few uh, mail fan, a little bit of fan mail there from from folks all around the country, which is super exciting. So we we love to hear from you. We love to hear your ideas, and even if it's just attaboys, we love those. And if you're interested. In in giving attaboys for this podcast, head over to iTunes, rate us. We really appreciate that. If you do that, take a couple seconds to, to, it takes a lot of time and effort to watch TV and talk about our favorite team at the same time. So uh, we'd certainly appreciate you rewarding that with, with a review over on iTunes. That's going to do it for this week's The Hit Show. 